thank you for being part of Exaron which is India's first uh, AR VR podcast it's so I'm super delighted to have you on the podcast because I'm really interested on the the correlation between virtual reality and neuroscience and I feel that there's so much which can happen so I'm going to give like a small introduction of, of you and then we can get into the conversation so Mr Amir Bazad Zadi is a market researcher tech writer and social impact entrepreneur he is the founder of Virtual Lead a VR brain training solution to help increase attention levels and address cognitive illness disorders and learning challenges it's, it's I'm super stoked to have you on Exaron podcast so so let's start with the name virtue leap <laughs> <laughs> me and my uh, co-founder Hossein we've worked together for like 9 years <clears throat> and we had this you know i love naming companies we've done naming different brands and you know virtue and leap and they come together and you know virtue has a has a latin um connotation in of itself right uh, obviously connections to virtues um you know and then leaping to these kind of um yeah leaping to these uh you know <clears throat> i i always look at that this kind of technology is offering transcendental applications um you know the the dream of being a human is always to be able to transcend yourself and technology can be seen in a negative way uh, as much as you like but it, there's no denying the fact that it allows us to um pass and and travel and reach you know elevations that we wouldn't be able to without its its assistance and so you know virtual reality or spatial computing as a paradigm incorporating also augmented reality as its sister sibling um these the spatial computing is certainly one of those technologies that is elevating um us as people in terms of our possibilities and potential as well as society as a whole so that's what virtual leap is is ultimately trying to uh comprise as a, as its as its meaning lovely lovely how cool is that you know you rightfully pointed out that technology it is a double edged sword but through history if you go to see that it's done more good than harm harm happens with those people who choose to use technology in a bad way but largely if you go to see technology is that tool which has enabled mankind and and i believe that in on next human evolution technology is going to play a huge huge role now most of the people uh, apprehensive to change and technology is something you know which we are extremely averse of you know but somehow covid has kind of thrusted us into this world and suddenly all the emerging tech has got this this huge lens everybody is looking mm. a- at it in a way because they suddenly realize the importance of technology so i've been invested in the space for maybe more than 6 7 years and i'm super excited about mm. augmented reality virtual reality mixed reality or all of these emerging technology which i believe is converging is going to create the future course of mankind and that's the reason i got into virtual reality what was mm-hmm. the reason that you got into virtual reality you know like w- when you look at technology <clears throat> it's kind of like it all started from prometheus right giving us that fire and it's just i think like a ball rolling with greater and greater momentum um in a direction of of just you know taking human human potential to the next level um the funny thing about virtual reality is it's that's it's the first digital format that triggers our autonomic nervous system into believing that the experience is real so our our vestibular balance system our our proprioception 
it's an ecologically valid and multi-sensory experience, right? And what that does is there's a nonverbal aspect to the human body and the human circuitry. Nonverbal, I mean parts that are not connected to our cognition. For example, my <clears throat> ego knows I'm, I'm sitting here by my desk and so on, or in my living room or in my house. But when I put on a virtual reality simulation, particularly if it's created in a very high fidelity way, you know, by with good, good, um, you know, best practices and on respecting how that environment should be created to a certain quality. For example, I'm standing on top of a very high precipice, a tall building. My phobia of heights is immediately triggered. My knees buckle and shake. Um, my phobia of heights does not care that my ego knows it's in this living room. My nonverbal, you know, reptilian, you know, amphibian, whatever the prefrontal cortex side of us, everything else that kind of comprises the human condition, um, you know, it believes it is real. For the body, for the nonverbal aspects of the body, the virtual reality simulation is the matrix. And so because it is the matrix for the body, it offers a tremendous new kind of um, opportunity for therapeutic and educational applications. And these are the two, you know, when I wrote dozens and dozens of articles, I was not making money for it from for VentureBeat or anything like this. I was writing articles to find out what are the critical use cases for this technology. And there's only two critical use cases that I, I firmly believe in. Um, everywhere else is nice to have, you know, gaming is nice to do, nice to have, but the critical use cases are education and healthcare and particularly healthcare. And, you know, why did I get into it? I'm, I'm a junkie for all things psychology, philosophy. I, uh, you know, have a ritual every morning nowadays I recall young. So, you know, uh, the subconscious uh, analytical, psychoanalytical uh, theory on, on, on the unconscious drivers of the human condition. And again, I just mentioned to you that the unconscious element of the human system is, is triggered into virtual reality experiences in, in an unparalleled and unprecedented uh, way that can, you know, cure us of, of my phobia, um, as well as probably, you know, bad things. But again, like you said, double-edged sword. Um, I always look for how do we create the, the, the bright side of, of these technologies and, and VR is just, wow. You know, we're just, we're just tipping on the, the tip of the iceberg right now. The FDA last year just declared the first VR solution to be a prescribed treatment for pain management. Uh, you know, it has a new category created called medical extended reality. You got Brennan Spiegel, Dr. Brennan Spiegel from Cedar sinai publishing VRX, you know, that is just a book, full, a seminal piece telling us not only are we really more advanced than we think with this technology, it's been about 5,000 uh, studies that have been published on VR's applications, you know, no one realizes how tremendous the, the studies and the research is, but we are we are in a place where VR can, can help us in ways that no other digital format or any type of means or methodologies has ever been able to before. Lovely. How cool is that? Yeah, I mean, you know, the way you put it, you mentioned about this guy called Brendan Spiegel, who's written a book called VRX. I'm definitely going to look that up. But you, you mentioned in the beginning that, you know, VR triggers this response, which is so very 
difficult to understand at this point in time. You know, we have this game, Richie's Plank Walk. You know, yes. that, it, it does some weird shit. <laughs> and I, I, I hope that we understand it, uh, you know, uh, much better because the people who haven't experienced the Richie's Plank Walk, it's a simple experience. You put on the VR headset, you get into an elevator, you get on top of the elevator. But all, all this while, you know that you are at your home or at a mall experiencing it in one of those VR experiences. But soon as we don the headset, you're on top of the, the, the building and there's a plank, you get out of the plank and, and you look down and you're freaking out when you know that it's cheap fucking animatics and it's 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 it's, it's you, you know that the <laughs> yeah. world is not real but it kind of tricks a motor cortex into believing that yeah. the virtual is real now push yeah. forward 25 years 30 years 50 years in, in, in into the future where we can create photorealistic content right. where we can simulate all of our five senses i mean when i said 30 years 50 years down the line i mean that's too much i mean of of what i know of what people are doing you know the cutting yeah. edge of technology i think this is possible in another 15, 20 years. I'm super, super excited about where VR is going. You mentioned two use cases of all the use cases, the gaming, entertainment and enterprise. But you, I think you picked two very, very good use cases, which is which touches humanity in a deep way, education, healthcare. And I think somehow both of them are flawed. The, the, the reason I'm saying this, especially because I'm sitting in India and I know how economically we are divided, wherein it's more of for those people who are very well settled and who can afford. And then there's a certain class of people who, who never get to see what good, uh, you know, education or good healthcare can do to you. Can you talk about VR education, VR healthcare? How do you think it's going to create impact uh, in the next coming years? Well, what you mentioned was one of the most practical aspects of what VR does for those two sectors, which is it democratizes access um, to the highest quality. And then the highest quality is infinitely scalable, right? You get the best... um, and then if you, the thing about VR is <clears throat> the beauty of it is that it intersects with so many other technologies and it amplifies VR even more. So now you have to talk about virtual beings, because if you bring in virtual beings that have access to, um, you know, AI learning tools that allows it to access all of the knowledge of Wikipedia, et cetera, and, and, and intelligently digest that information, but in a virtual reality setting that democratizes access to anybody who can be in that you know, lecture. It doesn't matter about space and time and all those things. They're transcended. So the, uh, democracy of, 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 uh, of, of the highest quality of human education, regardless of whether you can afford it or not, that's a huge, huge thing. But I think... <clears throat> Um, beyond that, my my point of view again is is about what happens when you can do what VR allows you to do because the body believes it's real. Um, the the learning experience is is unlike anything in a digital format before because because you're engaged from a full body uh, point of view. Um, the brain is designed to remember things, uh, retention, all these types of things. When you're, when you're, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're doing a cognitively focused like task, like, you know, just a, a, a intellectual exercise, but if you're physically in that environment and you make that intellectual exercise also embodied, it's our brains, 
you know, I talk to neurologists and neuroscientists and I talk to a lot of them, you know, like my, my job is to talk to a bunch every day um, or at least several a week, you know, and, you know, we don't really understand the brain as much as we try to think we do. But one thing we do know is the more regions, uh, the more uh, embodied experience anything is, the more it absorbs and soaks into us in a more significant way. And so you have to go away from education or healthcare from a very superficial level, right? Like there's so many things in education that are just superficial. People just study, 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 and then finish an exam and then forget, forget, forget. I mean, that's, that's a lot of, you know, the traditional education system is just memorization like a freaking parrot and then just forgetting it. And you didn't actually soak anything into your DNA. So it's about full embodied education, full embodied healthcare, you know, and also from the healthcare application and the, and the education side, I think they're going to both intersect in the next 10 years or so. What's good for you will be also educational for you. I think um, the empowered patient is kind of a theme of the next 10 years that we're going to see. And I think, you know, you, you gave a nice conservative estimate of how many years we're going to have to wait, you know, 15, 20, uh, which, you cut, which you cut down from 30, 50 which uh, makes me like, you know, uh, my blood pressure rises when you talk like that, but you're not doing the opposite thing of all these, you know, hucksters who are constantly giving us like these really uh, audacious estimates of like, oh, two more years and it's going to hit, you know, mass adoption and it never does. Well, my only critique of that is I think you're not right and they're not right. I think we're in the middle. And I think the reason that it might go faster is 5G because 5G is what's going to allow the hardware iteration to accelerate in the direction of lighter load, where you can be able to do a lot of the processing of the graphics and computing over into edge servers. And really the more lighter and the slimmer and the, you know, and more comfortable these headsets become. And obviously the, if a, if a company like uh, Apple releases their own AR model with that kind of additional um, investment, then I think we might have it more in the range of, um, let's say seven years, five to seven years is my guess of, of really amazing. I'll be more than happy to, you know, I mean, see this technology creating real world value and impacting mankind. And, and, and the reason I'm trying to be a little bit conservative because I know how people react. This is the first time in human history where everything is exponential. So far, everything was a linear space. So mm -hmm. we, our brain has got used to that understanding. L like you said, everything is intersecting. You know, we, mm -hmm. we have AR, we have MR, we've got 5G, we've got artificial intelligence, we've got Big synthetic data. biology. Uh, it, it, it's going... Everything. They're all intersecting, like you say. And then biology is coming in too. You know, like people are putting in quantum, uh, there's a, a Cambridge quantum computing group I just I'm looking at this last week and they got chemists mixing up their, their kind of concepts with machine learning. I mean, what the hell are chemists doing with, with, you know, so you got, you got a huge intersection, like you say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm super excited because my background is music. So when I started music, when it was back in the early 90s, you know, we, we had definitions, you know, of music. There was rock. There was pop, there was jazz, and there was classical. Cut to, you know, when music got democratized. Right now, I don't really know what is what because people are beautifully blending rock, pop, dance, jazz, mm -hmm. and creating new things. So I feel and I believe that that is what is happening. Thanks to all these converging technologies, 
I don't think anybody can estimate what's going to happen post 2030. You know, if sure. things things go the the way they are going, and I don't really know what's going to happen. It could be much. But anyway, so, so I'm super excited. And about and and what you're saying is completely on the on the uh, accurate. If you incorporate what's happening with COVID and. You know, COVID is a really important point to make because it's one of those things that comes in out of nowhere. And a year and a half ago is when it popped up, right? And it has absolutely the only silver lining of this biblical plague is is it serving as a catalyst for VR adoption across very serious use cases, like what I mentioned with the medical side of things. Uh, regulatory bodies are more and more open to. To seeing VR as a as a serious critical use case for diagnostics for uh, therapies, um, you know, COVID. In fact, I think you know served an acceleration for digital therapies in general. Um, the first video game was declared a prescribed treatment for pediatric ADHD um, back in June 2020. Uh, Achille Interactive, one of the pi- biggest pioneers of digital therapeutics or digital medicines. Um, and this is a video game that is given to children to help them with attention deficit, right? And it's a prescribed treatment by a doctor instead of giving a, a popping a drug or a pill, uh, give them this, this video game. So video game as a medicine, it was like, it was like, that's last year in June that that was declared what it was. And, you know, it's like landing on the moon kind of news. Um, and yet it didn't get much press at all because of COVID overshadowing everything. But if a video game is now declared a medicine in 2020, now we're in 2021 and COVID is continuously accelerating um, VR as well. And what is VR? VR is a digital format, just like the 2D video game, but it's actually in a way that the body believes it's real, right? I mean, it's the ultimate like pinnacle of digital medicines. And that's what you can kind of look forward to. It's, it's um, um, a lot of that will intersect with big data and AI learning tools and virtual beings. And then 5G will just be like, you know, putting uh, gasoline on a fire. And you're right. You can't predict what that means. But if the pandemic is not the only one, if we're going to have to prepare for more of these types of, uh, um, random events, then I think it's going to constantly keep on pushing emerging technology even faster than it already is because it's, it's what you're doing and you're isolated. I'm isolated. We're all isolated. Technology is the only way that we're actually keeping sane. Most of us who are living in the cities, right? You said uh, COVID has a catalyst yeah. for every, I mean, each and every emerging technology. So yes, I'm super excited about where things are going. And you also mentioned that video game as a medicine. How cool is that? The world is completely changing. And I, I, and I believe that more people need to know about this, that this is going to be the, the, the future, the, the way ahead. So, so tell me about Virtually. When was it mm. founded? And what is the problem that you are, guys, you are trying to solve with Virtually? What we've done at, at Virtual Leap is <clears throat> Japan is a, is, a, is a very special country to me at, at, from the point of view of Virtual Leap because it's the only country that if you're employed, it's mandatory by law to do a cognitive screening, a cognitive assessment once a year. It, that's 82% of the population does that. And, you know, you look at other countries and we are so not there. You know, the Japanese are, are much more embracing and proactive in looking at mental health in the same way we see physical health right now. 
We know going to the gym or going for a jog or eating well is all good for our physical health, but mental health is often something that we forget about and don't think about until it's the only, it's the, it's the, oh, um, uh, Brian, uh, Brian Johnson from Colonel, a BCI company that we're working with. He, he said this, he said, uh, mental health is something that we don't think about until it's the most important thing. <laughs> and that's where the rest of the world has been. And, and I think COVID has also been a catalyst in accelerating our appreciation for what mental health is in the same way that we appreciate so much and glorify physical health. Um, but cognitive screening and cognitive assessment is so important because you know, we have a, a very big problem in the world, not just about depression, but also mental disorders like schizophrenia. We have, we have cognitive illnesses like Alzheimer's that has costed the world just last year a trillion dollars. Um, this is, a, this is a, a cognitive illness that there is no cure. If you get it, you can only use pharmaceutical drugs to um, you know, manage the symptoms. Um, for the last 15 years, there hasn't been a single Alzheimer's drug that's actually been approved. It costs about five times more than any other drug to go through clinical studies. So all of that, um, these illnesses that happen, the only thing we can do is actually assess um, regularly our cognitive health if we have the tools that are available to us. And if we do, we know that they're, they're, it's up to like 20 years before it onsets that we can detect it. And the earlier we detect it, the earlier we can intervene. And the more at least, at the very least, delay the clinical onset of these horrible, horrible cognitive uh, conditions. Um, and so what our technology is all about is you look at all these, uh, smartphones and they have apps that serve as neurological assessments. You know, uh, they took the pen and paper test that neurologists are typically using and commonly using to assess cognitive uh, health. And then, uh, they moved it to the, you know, the phones, but these phones, they're still just 2d and they're not engaging our whole body. And, you know, we mentioned that the body is engaged in VR and what does that mean for the quality of the data? You know, when, you're, when your body believes an experience is real, how much more amazing is that assessment in terms of reliability, in terms of quality, and in terms of volumetric data that's captured by the human experience? You know, you're able to, in a VR headset like the Pico Neo 2i, which I'm holding right here, you're able to collect about, I think, minimum 16 to 20 different default data points that collects your most subtle movements and gesticulation, your accelerometry, um, your sitting, standing position is all collected. And then you combine that with our you know, um, our tool and you have volumetric data sets. So for example, what we've done is we've translated um, a library of standardized neuropsychological assessment tools that are typically used to assess your memory, flexibility, information processing skills, but also your motor control, spatial orientation and, and spatial audio awareness. And we've made it into VR um, closed loop games. So these are games that you play for three minutes and you basically just get to the level of difficulty that is your maximum uh, ability. And so you play this, you know, 10 minutes a day or something like that, just to see like how you are in your memory skills and your flexibility and your problem solving. And you just go back to the real world after 10 minutes. And it's, it's just basically a, a solution that offers you as an individual or a patient that's in a clinical study um, or someone who is in rehabilitation potentially um, uh, further down the road, a way to, you know, access a gym for your mind. Wow. Wow. How cool is that? And I'm, I never knew that Japan has a cognitive screening. And so, so how do you, how do they do it? Do they have like an EEG device, EMG device? I, I mean, do, do tell me about that. And you, you said that the games that you guys have created and the Pico Neo VR device, you are collecting data. Now this data, which is being collected, how is it helping? Is, is that a treatment being devised or this is just for diagnostic? How does it work? 
So the you know in the Japanese model of of the cognitive screening, it would be designed in a way that, for example, uh, you would go to a specialist, and the specialist would essentially um, you know give you like a pen and paper test. It'd probably take about forty five, maybe ninety minutes, and if anything shows up there, then maybe you would graduate and use okay. a machine or something like that. That's the traditional way. Um, in terms of how virtually uh, in our in our VR brain training solution kind of approaches the whole situation. It's, it's also in a, in a similar way to that pen and paper test, you know, except we would allow you to play a number of games that are disguised assessment tools. You know, we could say VR brain training games, we could say cognitive games, but actually um, what they are is gamified neuropsychological assessment tools. And they're just as much little scientific instruments that in three minutes can do what a pen and paper could test would probably take 10, 15 minutes. And so you, you have that order of magnitude uh, or exponential jump um, uh, in terms of uh, expedited um, and more reliable assessments. Right, right. So you also mentioned in the course of conversation about Brian Johnson and his company, Kermin. I think he's a fantastic individual who's doing some ultra awesome things, you know, and, and he's largely is going unnoticed. But recently he's come up with this flow device, the time domain functional uh, NIRS, uh, you know, the, the, the brain computer interface device. So, you know your uh, stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, you guys have partnered with uh, Brian Johnson's uh, company, Colonel, right? So would you like to talk a little bit about that? Have, do you have the device? I mean, how, what's the partnership? I mean, what are you guys doing? Well, you know, with, with Brian, he's, he's essentially, um, you know, a pioneer in pushing BCI, accessible BCI, real-time neuroscience device um, that can give us, you know, unparalleled access to immediate like you know results that would have otherwise taken you into like a you know giant magnetic resonance machine to be able to get um and even even then uh, not so effectively um because of you know having all the time intensive uh nature of having to access that go book that thing but having being able to just have it on your head you know you're making it accessible to any household so you know what can you do with a device like that when you pair it on um, a study, a neuroscience-based study that is looking at a new Alzheimer's drug that may um, or may not work on certain subsets of people. That kind of device can just give real-time neuroscience data about the human condition um, that allows us to better profile the patient segments that have the best possible treatment outcomes. Um, but in terms of what we're doing with them is, again, we're collecting um, data about the human condition in a very controlled way, specifically with these games targeting like memory, or not just memory, short-term memory, and giving you like an assessment, an objective score for your memory skills. But pair on top of that in parallel, his real-time neuroscience data that is showing objective activity in the brain that we can correlate with our scoring. And then we can see, do we need to fine tune our scoring? Is it correct? Is the correlation? Can we actually say that even playing this game indicates the same thing that the neuroscience data is directly showing. And so we can say maybe just by playing these games, it can serve as a, uh, as a, as a way to, you know, objectively know whether you are actually deteriorating um, cognitively and you need to start implementing some lifestyle activities. Do you, um, can you actually use our games as a, as a, as a way to assess your cognitive health in general? Can you use it as a way to actually say if you're even improving your cognitive health by playing these games? So we're kind of trying to do the, the back and forth kind of playing around of their direct neuroscience data linked to your brain 
in our data and what the correlation is. Have you collected data which is says, okay, this is something that the findings, these are the findings. These are the findings of whatever, I mean, for training, if, if it's been used across for training or, or for maybe for a, a specific condition. Now, these yeah. these are the findings and the, these are something which is going to really add value. So is there anything that you think you would like to talk about, something like that? Yeah, you know, uh, one of the biggest things for a company is, is making uh, partnerships with academia uh, and, and uh, research institutes. You know, we're working with the VA healthcare system in San Francisco, for example, um, you know, uh, Val de Braun in Barcelona. Each of these different institutes, they have a particular interest in showing cognitive remediation programs using our technology to help patients of a certain type in, you know, uh, assessing their cognitive health and perhaps even uh, serving as a therapy for, for their cognitive impairment. And these studies were basically lining up to begin this year. Um, we're recruiting for the first one as of actually next month. Um, we've had one correlation study done by an Italian group that are preparing to, you know, release their, their results and publish, for example. So we're right in the middle of, of actually having clinically validated, um, you know, and, and then hopefully peer-reviewed um, publications that shows the efficacy of our solution. But it's really important to keep in mind that we're really just the extension of of the cognitive assessment industry in general. You know, you have these tried and true uh, cognitive assessment tests like the NBAC test that has been, was been used since 1958, you know, and we just simply took the NBAC task and brought it into a 3D rendered environment. And so it's still the same game mechanism uh, based on the same principles of the NBAC task that is commonly used and supported by neurologists. So we're not reinventing the wheel. Um, so, so, you know, we're very, very, optimistic that it's not only just going to correlate to traditional methodologies, but actually then offer so much more. And because of the, 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 the volumetric data sets about the human condition, and for us to be able in these studies to correlate not just to traditional methodologies, but also to brain scans and neuroimaging um, and other biomarkers, I think um, the results are going to be really promising. And they're probably going to start uh, popping up in, in, our, in your, your news feed um, probably by the end of this year or so. Lovely, lovely. Wish you the very best for it. Yeah. So, so can you talk about some of your peers? You know, because there is some exciting work happening at this point in time. You know, there's this company called Neurobill, which is doing some really cool thing, and then Valve has partnered with OpenBCI to work on neural interfaces. You know so your stuff. What, what are the exciting works that that that's happening in, in, in the space that excites you? When you see like OpenBCI and Valve partnership, it's really exciting because they want to see what can you use real-time neuroscience uh, feedback loops and the like. Uh, signals to be able to actually influence the game, you know, Con not just control the game, but have customized gameplay that's responding to your like state of consciousness. I mean, it's profound stuff. It's also kind of scary when people who are not in this industry read about it because it can look quite um, intrusive, right? You got data privacy issues right now in the world, pretty rampant, right? And now you're going to go like, people are collecting your like your neuroscience self you know, the part of you that when you go on a lie detector test and you want to lie, maybe, but your pulse won't lie, it'll tell the truth. That's why the lie detector has been used, right? It's the same thing with neuroscience. I mean, uh, brands would be able to know what color stimulates you the most in order to manipulate you. So there's also, you know, always that, that, that danger in some of those partnerships. But um, for people like me who are in the industry, all I can see is the amazing things of like maximum user comfort and maximum pleasure of, of user experiences. It's like an ideal dream for that kind of aspect. But then you have 
um, you know, Neurable and other companies that are, you know, uh, I think Facebook's um, uh, acquisition of Control Labs, Control Labs. Um, you know, and, and that moved into their Facebook Reality Labs, I believe, right. is the division now. You know, they're all approaching it, I think, from the point of first and foremost, maximum user comfort, maximum, like, you know, um, the ability to create user environments that are the most pleasing and comfortable and that can be also the most inclusive, you know, being able to have someone who doesn't have full abilities, um, being able to still access the highest quality of content just because they can navigate it with their brains and, and, and actually the content being able to adapt itself to someone, for example, who has colorblind and immediately correct for it. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's someone who has a, a sensory impairment. I mean, there's just, it's just profound applications in maximizing accessibility to anyone uh, in terms of, uh, you know, access to that content. Lovely. Yeah, I'm super excited where this is going. Yes, you, you pointed out the data privacy. I mean, you know, there, there is, uh, you know, a need for a conversation to be had in the forum so people understand and do not panic. I think we have jumped into a world where data is going to be the most expensive thing in the world. You know, oil has gone away. You know, it's, it's, it's data. I mean, you know, where so, so there is a data hoarding which is being going on. You know, and some, some of the, the tech behemoths are actually manipulating our data in ways they have manipulated elections and things like that. Now, obviously, we're going into the space where, you know, eventually we're going to have like glasses like this, maybe in another 10 years where it could get uh, five years. Obviously, there's Apple coming in, Facebook coming in, and there's so many other brands you know the small guys around the world who are creating working on building glasses which might be like this which would be might be intelligent glasses and with spatial computing you know it will capture whatever your eyes are looking at you know so there is a need for a conversation to be had in a social forum and make people understand that yes the private world is is a thing of the past. Now, how do we create a solution or a framework knowing and understanding that this is the world where we have stepped into? How mm -hmm. do we safeguard those data where we kind of put those data ownership back into the individual rather than a tech behemoth? So that is something I think we should have an active conversation on. Uh, what are your views on something like that where, you know, we are entering the spatial world where anything and everything is going to be digitized? I think we, we have to just, you know, because there's always... Um... For every action, there's always a reaction, right? And, and with society, there's a Democratic pub, uh, Party and a Republican Party. It's just like, you know, the yin and the yang of, of a homeostatic ecosystem. So, you know, I believe that always and everywhere you will see that same duality um, uh, of opposites um, always counterbalance one another. And so, you know, when you do have these, this, this action of privacy intrusion, you're going to have um, elements of society that come out and not just have a conversation about it, but create solutions as startups of their own to counter those influences, you know? And so you have technologies that will be invariably created by that other side of humanity. I don't believe in dystopia futures where it just shows the bad. There's always a counter reaction of inevitably. And eventually we're gonna find ourselves in a homeostatic kind of balance where you have technologies and you have the means as a user, as an empowered user to block 
and to circumvent. And those technologies that don't allow that homeostatic balance of technology um, and in this relation into, in terms of giving, um, you know, uh, ownership um, and, and trust uh, to the user, uh, I think they're going to naturally die out of natural selection. Um, so, you know, there will be periods of time where things do go wrong and that's the messiness of the, the human condition. But I, I have all the confidence in the world that we'll find that balance eventually because there's always, always gladiators who are balancing from all sorts of weird angles and, and those big incumbent companies that try to block and, 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 and not be disrupted. Well, like you say, the next 10, 20 years is full of disruption and intersection points where things are going to be so radically uh, uplifted and upended um, uh, that I think those, those organizations won't have a choice. Balance is inevitable. Lovely. I mean, what, what a profound note to end on. Balance is inevitable. And you mentioned that there'll always be gladiators who will strive on creating balance. And I guess that's because, you know, there is, there is always a certain section of society which is really going bonkers and saying we are going into the, like the dystopian future. And there is a certain very small section of people who think that it's going to be a utopian future. But, you know, there is, what works is a neutral ground, a balance, you know, where, and I think that maybe we are going into that world. Wish you the very best for your company. You know, I mean, I see a world where how... I mean, things are going to really benefit mankind. You know, all of these technologies and, and you are playing a huge, huge role on there. Uh, any last words to the listeners and what is the future roadmap for Virtual Leap? You know, it's, you know, a lot of VR companies out there, they, they might have short-term uh, aims or short-term results. You know, uh, we're the kind of company that has a very long-term uh, vision you know, uh, that is very entwined with clinical studies validating us um, by the scientific community and not a kind of company that ever wants to say we can do something um, that hasn't been validated by science. Um, So I think you're going to see more and more companies like us that are, you know, uh, comprised of teams that are a balance, again, between scientists and game developers and, you know, VR creators um, that are a multidisciplinary kind of group that are creating these profound applications. And for Virtual Leap, we really just want to push out something that otherwise would take longer if it wasn't for us. And so, you know, we think uh, brain health, cognitive health, and mental health all are all interrelated. And in the next five to 10 years, we're going to see um, gyms for the mind, like our solution, um, as, as promoting mental health, just like going to the gym um, and going for a run is right now already pre- very established as having a, a promoting, a promoting uh, positive physical health. So, you know, we're, we're really just going down that road. And I think ultimately it's not just going to be a healthcare solution, but also an ed tech one, something that can allow you, for example, to better understand your, your, your strengths and weaknesses and being able to play games to make, you know, your weaknesses less of a weakness, more balanced and be more wholesome as, a, as an individual. Lovely, lovely. Thank you, Amrit. It was a pleasure talking to you and getting your insight. You know, I, you know, there are two kind of entrepreneurs in the world. You know, the ones who are short term, you know, who go for the, like, you know, oh, there is so much money over there, create a, a solution, and, and, and that's it. And then there are this other kind of uh, entrepreneurs who have that bold, futuristic vision, who are going for that audacious goal, which has the potential to create huge transform for 
mankind as a whole and what you are doing from my perspective my my vantage point at least i see that's where you're going i wish you the very best and i hope that there's more entrepreneurs such as yourself creating solutions that can you know create a better world to my listeners if you like what you see in here please press the subscribe button until next time see you guys bye bye thank you thank you i really appreciate this thank you so much for having me